Welcome to the Luxury Listing Specialist Podcast with Michael Lafito, where top luxury agents reveal their best practices, plus interviews with real estate industry influencers, thought leaders, and luxury marketing experts. You'll come away from each episode with new strategies and tactics to dominate high-end homes in any market. And now for the latest episode of Luxury Listing Specialist, here's your host, luxury real estate expert, coach, and trainer, Michael Lafito. Welcome back, everybody. Michael Lafito, welcome to Luxury Specialist. You're in the right place. If you want to learn more about the industry and you want to increase your average sale price and you want to work smarter, not harder, from time to time, we have other top luxury agents or producers or strategic partners that service the luxury space. Today's guest isn't really a specialist in luxury, but I saw them recently at the T3 Summit in Naples, Florida. And literally, they were amazing. He was amazing and he he went against the grain. And part of what I teach agents is when everybody's going left, you go right. When everybody shows up with their, their iPad, you show up differently. And today's topic, unfortunately, isn't a isn't a sexy topic. We're talking about a class action possible lawsuit. And, and so that's what we're talking about today. But most agents, unfortunately, have no clue what's going on and maybe what's coming down the pipeline. And so that's where I said to James, hey, would you mind jumping on talking about this? Are you comfortable with it? So without further ado, I want to bring on the CEO of one of the major companies out there. Maybe you've heard of them. Maybe you haven't. It's called Next Home. Uh, James, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy day to uh, discuss some things that necessarily aren't lead gen. They're not prospecting. They're not about necessarily uh, you know, making more money, selling more homes, but it's very informative. And that's what we're all about is delivering a better experience for both the consumer and our fellow agents. And in this case, it's more informational. So first off, you're the CEO of Next Home. Tell everybody a little bit about Next Home, how many states you're in, how many agents are with Next Home. I'm putting you on a spot. You can speak in broad sense if you don't have the exact data. <laughs> sure. Well, I appreciate you being uh, having me on the show and being here. Uh, and thanks, everybody, for for listening. Uh, just real quick background. Next Home, we have about 615 offices across the U.S., almost 6,000 agents in the company. So I'm, I'm wow. in the real estate space. I've been in the industry my whole life third generation grandfather started his company in 1967. So I've been doing this a very long time. Um, and then the topic today that we'll go through that Michael's asked me to discuss is the class action suits that are um, happening, uh, you know, in our industry. Many people aren't even aware of them. So I'm going to talk about this from a simplistic version of explaining what they are uh, and give a little bit of background on where these are going and essentially what, you know, what the outcomes might be. I did want to preface as just a disclaimer. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a CPA and I'm not an insurance agent. So the views expressed are the views of James Dwiggins. If you have any questions, you need to talk to your own lawyer, or CPA and insurance agent to understand some of the things I'm going to talk about. Um, so I guess you want me to kick it off, just kind of yes. dive into what they are. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so give everybody a very high level for those who are just tuning in, they're listening, they have no idea about this lawsuit. Uh, give everybody the simplified, you know, 10,000 foot view of what's going on. Okay. So there are three lawsuits technically that are happening. If you followed any of the headlines in real estate, there there's two of them that are being addressed, but there's actually three. 
So the first one is what they call um, no select versus MLS property <clears throat> info network. Um, and then that's the defendant. The defendants also include uh, the uh, they include Realogy, Berkshire Hathaway, Keller Williams, Remax, um, and then some additional smaller ones. There's a second lawsuit called Burnett, uh, technically Burnett Sitzer versus National Association of Realtors. Again, defendants are Berkshire Hathaway, Remax, Keller Williams, Realogy, and some additionals, including the National Association of Realtors. And then the third, which is the biggest, is Moral versus the National Association of Realtors. And again, the same defendants. All three lawsuits are very similar. I'm not going to go into every granular detail because it would take hours to explain them all. But the general premise of them is that they are alleging that there is a conspiracy in the industry to prop up commissions, that it is uh, the industry has collaborated to do that by forcing sellers to pay the buyer's agent commission. I am simplifying here to be clear, but they're, they are basically saying the conspiracy is these companies, these large real estate companies who are on uh, boards and committees at NAR, uh, boards and committees at MLSs have collaborated to require a structure where the seller is being harmed by providing the co-op commission to the buyer's agent. So it started with two rules, basically. You have the buyer broker co-op agreement, whereby when you have a listing in the MLS, you have to offer compensation on the other side of the transaction. Now that can be a dollar, but technically you have to offer compensation. So if you think about it from that perspective, if if you're a if you're one of the four largest real estate companies in the US that control, you know, 50% of the industry, it is in they're alleging it is in your best interest to provide this rule and enforce this rule because theoretically, a lot of the agents on the other side of the deal representing the buyer are, are or work for one of these firms. In other words, the conspiracy is you're creating these rules to make sure that there's compensation offered on the other side to pay the buyer's agent, which a significant amount of time would benefit your organization. So I'm kind of laying the foundation here. That, pro that policy has been in place for, for a long time. Where it got really difficult was when the National Association of Realtors instituted the clear cooperation policy. The clear cooperation policy is essentially the rule that was put in place that states if you are a member of the MLS, you have to, and you take a listing, you have to put it in the MLS within 24 hours. The reason that policy was enacted, which I agree with, was designed to make sure that sellers are benefiting from an open market, that their property is receiving the highest amount of exposure, that, and I'm very blunt about this, that there is not greed going on by saying, oh, I'll list your property and I'll also represent the buyer and it'll be easier and you know, you'll get a better deal. The reality is, and I'm very direct about this, there is no better way to advertise a property than having it in the MLS syndicated and opened up to the world for more offers. So the policy was put in place to essentially take these pocket listings that were benefiting certain organizations, keeping the properties in-house and providing a benefit to the seller. The problem is when you look at the policies separate from each other, they don't have any harm. But if you look at them combined and you say, you cannot take a property 
that when you're a member of the MLS and sell it off the MLS, so you have to put it in the MLS. And there's a policy that states you have to provide broker cooperation on the other side. It doesn't look very good. It looks like an antitrust violation. Like you're you're conspiring to prop up commissions by saying everything must go in the MLS and you also have to offer compensation to the buy side deal. Now there's a whole bunch of arguments as to why this is this is a, this is good for the buyer and seller and I'm not going to get into those because I I don't disagree with them. It's very hard for a buyer to come up with enough money as a down payment. It's hard for them to be able to pay for representation. It actually, if you go back in his, in time, it used to be that they were separate. This is this is something that's that's been occurring to make it easier for a deal to come together. But this is instituted. This has basically caused all of the DOJ investigations that you've seen, you know, comments about where they're they're looking at this as does it violate the Sherman Act, which is essentially an antitrust claim. And so, where we are today is you have three different cases. So you have uh, Nosalek, you have Moral, which is the, the big one nationally in 20 different markets, and Burnett, which is in Missouri. All three of them fundamentally are suing, saying that the sellers were harmed because they were forced to provide commissions to the other side of the deal. So the damages from this would essentially be some percentage of the commissions that were paid to the buyer's agents over the course of a five-year period. So there's, a, there's a statute of limitations on these claims. So if you think about this for a second, we'll just start with Burnett because this is the one that's occurring. This is class action status, meaning anyone can join the class that was harmed during the period of time. It goes to trial in October. It's in the state of Missouri. It's in federal court. Plaintiffs are suing for the commissions that were paid to buyer's agents over a five-year period of time. If you think about that number, that could be quite significant, like billions of dollars. And it's not for the full amount because the court and jury would recognize that you know agents would be paid some amount of money to represent the buyer. But the question is whether it's you know 1%, 2%, 3%, whatever the number might be, there's some difference there is what the damages would be. Here's where it gets really complicated. So this is federal court in Missouri. Plaintiffs not only are looking for, you know, money to be repaid back to sellers, but also an injunction to stop buyer broker cooperation immediately. So in theory, worst case scenario, there's actually two worst case scenarios. The, the first one for Missouri is if they if the class action status, it, you know, when they go to trial, if they win, there could be an injunction that states immediately that the buyer's agent will no longer be compensated by the sell side agent. I'm going to go down that rabbit hole in just a minute. Okay. The bigger issue is it's federal court. So technically the judge could take the injunction if he or she felt that it was big enough uh, and damaging enough to consumers and enact that injunction across the entire U.S., so while what people don't understand is while this trial is in Missouri, specifically for Missouri, the injunction could be enacted across the U.S. In other words, all 50 states, buyer broker co-op could be essentially, it can no longer be offered. That even can happen during the appeals process. So in all cases, when you have a case, if for instance, the industry lost, we would appeal that 
and it would go up through the courts and it would take years to solve. But the reality is an injunction could still be upheld during that time frame. So I'm going to stop there real quick, Michael. So you have any questions and I'm going to go deeper into all of this, but if you want to frame yeah. it a little bit. Yeah, it's a really good, uh, great job of explaining that, James. Again, anybody watching live, you can type in a question for James, for myself in the comment section. Don't need to download anything. If you're watching a replay of this, you can send me an email to Michael at Marketing Luxury Group. By the way, before I forget, I'll mention it a few times. Again, we have James uh, on. He's CEO of Next Home. They get about 6,000 agents across the world. Uh, they just launched their own. You just launched your own podcast, a Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered. We correct? did. Yeah, we did. We did. Check it out if you want to see some stuff. It's kind of a fun podcast. We're a little, little Joe Rogan style on it. So a little hey. direct, little, little candor, a little bit of humor, a little profanity. So, all right. Hey, that's good. We try to keep it clean here. I'll keep it clean those on those yours, stuff. but I got mine I, where I get a little bit more juicy. I, so. I, you know, in my trainings, I'll sl slip up once in a while. So, hey, very good explanation of this. This is in October, although it's happening in Missouri, it could affect us all, no matter where you're listening across the United States. Good. So then there's, there's two others, and I'm going to really focus on, on moral, which is the big ones. This is 20 markets across the U.S. The premise is the same. It's essentially a much bigger category of you know market share uh, a much bigger potential damages same concept that sellers were harmed by being required what they say is being required to offer compensation to the buy side agent so the cases are all fairly similar there is some differences but not worth noting but they're all fairly similar in in context what's important to note here is a couple things these cases have been going on since 2019 all of them have gotten class action status that's a very big problem. The issue that we're facing here is this isn't, we had, I've had a lot of people go, well, if administrations changes, it'll change. This is nothing to do with administrations. This is civil court. So there, it, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, there's nothing to do with lobbying or changing things with the Department of Justice. This has nothing to do with the Department of Justice. These are class action suits in civil court. They will go down to a jury of your peers. I want to explain how problematic that is. If it's a jury of your peers who have bought houses who have used a realtor or who are renters who think they can't afford a house because the, the plaintiffs, the lawyer is going to say that commissions are too high. They'll use examples of other countries around the world where commission rates are lower, you know, comparing apples and oranges, but that's what they'll do. They'll convince a jury that they were harmed and that they didn't have to pay these fees. I am in the camp and I hope I am dead wrong that I do not think we are going to win these cases. I do not. I think that it is we have had a, we have every single thing our industry has tried to toss these cases to get class action status removed. Even last week, that appeal for getting class action status removed uh, was denied by the judge. These are going to trial. This is going to come down to uh, Katie Johnson and her team at NAR. They're amazing. I have all the faith in the world of them. I just feel like we're in a world where it's a little bit different. It's you, you've got a very clear layout of what the plaintiff is going to use. Commission rates in the U.S. are higher than any other developed country on the planet for real estate. They're going to use the policies to show a path. They're going to use the people involved, and they're going to get a jury of people who have bought or haven't, and it's going to be a hard thing to overcome. I want to be clear. I hope I'm wrong. I, dead, I hope I'm dead wrong with this. I just don't think this is the reality of how this is going to go. So, so let me pause right there. Yep. So that part of the reason I got, I have James on today's show is he was on a panel. He really was the one that was vocal on his thoughts on this potentially not turning 
turning out in in realtors favor and so you know again worst case scenario is if you're watching if you're listening you need to prepare your business you need to have unbelievable customer service so that if the buyer's agent co-op disappears and you need to be compensated through a buyer's agent agreement you need to bring more value to the consumer again in my market i'm based in the chicagoland market there's there's a shortage of properties i have buyers i showed a buyer recently a six and a half million dollar property he signed a buyer's agent agreement that he would compensate me i flat out said if i can find you an off-market property that hasn't been sent to you by five other agents that you're on their list and i can provide you your, your dream home would you compensate me i would negotiate i'd represent you and he said yes so again the point being is if this does come through the pipeline are you prepared are you prepared to bring more value or are you just a leasing agent are you just opening doors for people and anybody can do that right so that's problem with our industry is we have a lot of agents that just do the bare minimum you have to bring extra service i call it the ritz carlton white glove service and so i'll toss it back to you james but i wanted to interject there that's why i have you on i love your candidness you know you're not negative nick you're 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 being in a dose of reality. Like I said it on stage, hope is not a strategy. So for me, I, you know, I want to believe that we're going to go there, but we also need to have a plan for if things don't. And so let me, let me dive into that about what, where this is all going to shake out. So let me start with the bad news. Um, if Burnett, if, if we lose Burnett in, uh, October, what, what will happen is copycat lawsuits. Um, it, you have to remember that there's only four, there's four or five defendants currently in the Burnett case in, in Missouri. So there's a hell of a lot of other real estate companies that could be sued for the same problem. Um, it's also then set precedence. This, this trial in October is extremely crucial for the outcome. If we win, then it's going to give us a stronger case against the others. If we lose I can tell you the others are going to be worse. <laughs> so what will happen most likely if we as, as if we win, great. We move on, things continue and we go to moral next year. They just said that's going to go to trial in in Q2. Somewhere right around Q, Q1 Q2. If we lose, what will happen is you're going to see massive amounts of law firms file copycat lawsuits. That means is essentially they'll do the same case and they'll sue in all 49 other states and they'll sue everybody else as well because now you've got precedence. You've already shown that this is what the damages are. The lawyers are going to go, oh, wow, we can just go sue everybody. They'll look for settlements, et cetera. And, the, the, and this is a worst case scenario. Again, hope I'm wrong. That's my opinions. Talk to your own lawyer. If that does occur, here's the issue. Brokerages across America, big and small, will get looped into these suits. Um, they'll all they'll all eventually go into one class, is how it typically work. And you know, here's the problem. So I've already checked in on this. Insurance companies, your your ENO, your general liability, et cetera, will not cover antitrust claims. There's our exclusions in writers in those insurance insurance policies that specifically state if you did something like an antitrust violation. We will not cover you. So my understanding so far, having done the research, is most real estate brokerages are have have exposure here. Um, 
you can't change anything because even if you try to change things going forward, you're being sued for the past. You can't change the past. They're going to go back five years and that's what you're dealing with. So the, the policies themselves, in addition to not covering, you, you can only make changes going forward. You can't change what you did going backwards, which is what you're going to get sued for. It'll be a pretty significant problem for our industry. Some policies have the ability to cover your lawyer's fees, but I'm not aware of any of them that will cover damages. So there's a big problem. Um, where this is going to shake out is I think, and I've been talking to a lot of lawyers on this, the, the best scenario for this is that these cases get settled. And this is going to be a weird analogy I'm going to explain here. The... <laughs> So let's just say the potential damages, I'm going to make up a number for, for simplistic conversation. It's much larger than this, but let's just use simple math. Let's say the total damages that the industry could afford to do is a billion dollars. NAR kicks in money and Keller and Remax and everybody kicks in cash and NAR does some sort of assessment on everyone and we all pay an extra 500 bucks and whatever the number is, right? They come in and say, okay, we'll offer you 2 billion paid out over the course of three or four years. Uh, and you know, what they do, which is where it gets strange is they open the class up further and invite everybody into it. In other words, you go out and you get as many sellers as possible over the past five years to join the class so that you can get basically everybody into the pot to receive some money for, you know, for, for the actions. And that is then that, gets is that, is that where you see attorneys, they get lists of, of who's bought and sold a home in the last couple of years. They send out postcards. Hey, you might be entitled to act, yep. contact yep. us. Yep. 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 You get everybody into the class so that you can essentially remove future lawsuits. So there's always a, still a sense of risk because, you know, people may not join the class and then they want to file their own suit. It gets reduced because once, you know, essentially you've got to, to do these class action suits. These are big law firms with, big amounts of capital. So, you know, the ambulance chasers aren't going to go down that road. Typically when you open the class up and get as many people in, it, it basically settles the case out. That is what I would call the best case scenario. And again, I hope I'm wrong. Well, I'm sorry. Best case scenario if we lose is we go and do some type of settlement and we open the class up and we figure out a way to get everybody in and settle the case out. Um, uh, you know, best case scenario is we win these suits. The worst case scenario is that we lose, there is no settlement and a judgment is issued for a massive amount of money on all of these firms. And candidly, the only way out of all of that is bankruptcy. Um, and because nobody, no one has enough money on their balance sheet for the amount of damages that are here. So I'm not trying to scare everybody. What I'm trying to say is you have to be educated about this. There's a lot of ways this can play out. But certainly there are some significant problems. What I will say is regardless of this outcome, I do think buyer broker co-op is done. I think you are going to see this be removed. I don't think the future is going to have, uh, essentially I do not see it being done in its current fashion where in the MLS you are offering compensation to the buyer's agent. The way that we see this playing out is there's a great case example going on in Northwest MLS. They're not an NAR governed MLS, so they can make changes to the way they govern themselves and operate differently than most of the rest of the industry. They stopped buyer broker co-op requirement over a year ago in their MLS. What's been fascinating about it is it really hasn't shifted a lot. Um, essentially, the way that this goes, and this is how we see the future ending up. As a seller's agent, you'll meet with a seller. You'll ask them to pay you whatever your compensation is for your services that you're offered. 
you will not be collecting money to pay the buyer's agent any further. You'll talk to the seller about why it's important to be prepared to offer compensation to the buyer's agent because depending upon the price of the house and the customer that's going to buy that home, it's likely they will not have the money to be able to afford to pay for that representation. And the buyer's agent's likely going to put that term in the purchase contract. So where this goes is the seller's agent gets paid by the seller, talks to the seller about the importance of offering compensation. And on the buy side, this is where it all changes. Buyer side agents need to be prepared to ask for a buyer broker agreement and get good at it. Get really good at it. Explain your services. It can't be this subjective, I open doors and do this stuff. It's got to be very specific. Here's the 150 things that I do. Here's the amount of work that's involved. Here's the amount of time that's involved in a real estate transaction. It needs to be, we have to do a better job because candidly, we suck at articulating our value currently. We just don't do it very well. We also haven't had to do it very well on the buy side because we haven't really had to worry about it. We need to get better about that as an industry. We need to convince a buyer to pay us that. You'll write your compensation as part of the deal terms is where this will likely go. So in the purchase contract, seller needs to pay whatever percent, whatever whatever type of compensation it is that you're, you're asking for as part of the deal structure. And if the seller decides to say no, then the buyer needs to pay that. I will tell you that I am very confident that there is work being done behind the scenes so that eventually that buy side commission could be financed in the loan. There'll have to be changes with Fannie and Freddie, LTV, a bunch of other stuff to make that work. But I do believe that will be coming so that if you ask a buyer to pay it and the seller won't, the buyer can finance that throughout the, the loan process. So they're not having to come up with the cash. That is where we believe it will go. We think that this is the future. Agents who are very good at articulating their value will thrive as they always have. Agents who are not won't be here. And candidly, that's going to happen anyway, because we're already starting to see the attrition of realtors yeah. in the business. Um, so there's a lot of scenarios on where this will play out. What, what I can tell you is, and this is just an example of what I'm doing internally with our organization, and I encourage everyone to be doing something uh, similar is we're preparing, we're, we're starting to prepare our people for this. We're going to have a whole summit with our, with our franchise owners to talk about how to restructure things, how to prepare to ask, how to teach your agents this stuff. We're really thinking about, even if we win these suits, we need to be prepared because there are other levers that can change this policy. At the end of the day, what they want, what they're looking for, the Department of Justice and these civil cases is about is letting the seller the seller's agent be paid by the seller and the buyer's agent be paid by the buyer. The end. That's what they're looking for. We do that. And candidly, a lot of these investigations by the Department of Justice go away. There's no more, there's there's very little to sue on anymore. There's got to be some changes to it, but that is where we think the future of this industry will will look like. And, and what I heard you say, by the way, that the last three to four minutes was just nugget after nugget for for people on how to overcome if this does come through the pipeline come to fruition uh, but just for clarity's sake do you also believe and again this is your personal opinion uh, that they 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 don't want sellers to be forced to pay the buyer's agent so you gave the scenario where it could be optional 100 but they're not forced to and i think you're going to find most sellers will still do that um, but I do also think that because of the structure change, you will also see more sellers than we have not do that. 
And yeah, I, I think and, I think it comes down to supply and demand, right? Sure. In a hot market, you see more for sale by owners. You see more sellers say, I'm not going to paint. I'm not going to stage. I don't need to. In a shifting market, a cooling market, they're more motivated. They have to be more creative. They got to be more flexible. But our industry has to, and it's a, it's another, and you'll hear more about this later this year. It's a project I've been working on, but there's, we have to learn how to change the way we articulate our value. And it's, it's, it's just, it can't, we can't say I do all of this work, but not quantitatively show it. And that's like, that's what I'm really focused on with this new project is how do we, how do we have an agent clearly articulate value and show the buyer, here's the 155 things I'm going to do over the course of 90 yeah. days and the 110 hours I'm going to work with you and all of these things. So it's, it's really interesting where I think this will, will go. I, you know, but I will make this statement. This sounds a little grim, but I actually think this will be long-term good for our industry. I know that sounds really weird, but here's why I say that. You know, for those of us who have been in the business a long time, we welcome everybody into it. But there are too many people with a license that sell real estate that don't know what they're doing, aren't professional, and just candidly shouldn't be in it. And I think that this makes the industry stronger because the better agents are going to rise to the top. The people who are hungry, who are consumer focused, who really focus on how to articulate value and show what they do will continue to garnish whatever Whatever compensation they're looking for, they will thrive. Every study has shown that consumers want to work with an agent. It's at the highest level it's been in for a long, long time and continues to be. They question compensation, which we can fix. They want to work with an agent. And we're also dealing with a world where you have to have two incomes to live in the United States. Like mom and dad both have to work. So who the hell has the time to go out and try to sell their own house? So my point is, do I think there'll be a lot less realtors at the end of this? Yes. Do I think there'll be a lot less brokers? Probably. Do I think that there'll be a shakeup of, of companies? Yeah, to some degree. Um, certainly, there's going to be some shakeup from all of this. But I think in the end, we end up being a more professional business with more professional people with a much clearer way of articulating our value. Uh, and I think our industry just gets better. Do I think there's a lot of pain along the way? Probably. Do I think that you know MLSs and associations consolidate because there's less membership? Probably, um, but I don't see this as the end of real estate. And I'll just give you one example: like it, you, the agents aren't being sued for this. You can't sue an agent; they're not fiduciary. The brokerage is. So I'm just going to throw out this scenario: if for some reason worst case scenario happened and like everybody got sued, and well, okay, you file bankruptcy and you just start brokerage B, <laughs> and you move everybody to brokerage B. And brokerage B has no liability from the past. So like I'm 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 oversimplifying here, sure. but like the concept is there's a new path forward. Plaintiff and defendants both have a reason to settle. Nobody wins if everybody files bankruptcy. That's not what lawyers aren't in the business of not making money. Right. <laughs> so there's a there's a the scenario if I have a very good friend named Rob Hahn, and I love him. He's very a dear friend of mine. He's a little extreme on his views, and he knows that, and I share that with him. You know, his view is it could be really catastrophic, and I don't disagree. It could be, but in the middle of all of this is the reality that at the end of the day, the industry will move forward. It just might be look a little bit different. Yeah. Or I'm dead wrong. Great, I hope I am, and I'll buy everybody a cocktail, and that'd be great. Uh, and you know, we continue on a status quo. In either case, I do think whether these cases go, you know, one way or the other, I do think buyer broker cooperation is going to change.
this is this is a time bomb that needs to be changed and i think our industry will be better for it long term once we figure it out so james a wealth of knowledge i want to be respectful of your time uh ceo of next home six thousand agents doing some great things james has always been approachable he's a leader in the industry uh, one of the top 200 most influential leaders in the industry thanks to stefan swinepool's uh, top 200 list and please take a listen his new podcast real estate insiders insiders unfiltered uh if you ever want to talk luxury you know where to reach me <laughs> we appreciate that we'll have you on at some point too michael right. no i so. appreciate it you, you're a wealth of knowledge i do appreciate you thank you for coming on of course not, a, not an easy topic to talk about but that's why i had you on perfect hope everybody enjoyed it thank you sir yep again if you're getting value from this episode or previous episodes please leave us a like leave us a review james wasn't compensated i wasn't compensated we're trying to raise the bar for the industry we hope it's entertaining but we also hope it's valuable my name is michael lafito until next time you're listening to another episode of luxury specialist take care everybody 